Chapter 36, Seer Stones and Some Keys to the Celestial Glories. And the Lord said, I will prepare unto you my servant Gazalim a stone which shall shine forth in darkness unto light, that I may discover unto my people who serve me, that I may discover unto them the works of their brethren, yea, their secret works, their works of darkness, and their wickedness and abominations. Alma thirty-seven twenty-three. As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we are a peculiar people indeed. This peculiarity stems from new revelation that provides doctrine that has been lost from traditional Christian religions. Within this doctrine, there is an even more peculiar subject, one that remains so, even for many active faithful members, seer stones. The reason for this is because not much has been made known about their history. In this chapter, I will attempt to explain what is known about the history of seer stones, what they are, how they are used, and what their righteous purpose is. By and large, when discussing seer stones, there is a common misconception that people are no longer allowed to have them. This misconception can be traced back to the history of Hiram Page, who claimed to have his own seer stone, which was giving him revelation for the church that was contrary to that which Joseph Smith was teaching. In fact, he deceived several members of the church, including Oliver Cowdery. He was rebuked in the 28th section of Doctrine and Covenants, being told that no one shall be appointed to receive commandments and revelations in this church, excepting my servant Joseph Smith Jr., for he receiveth them as, even as Moses. Joseph Smith said, Every man who lived on the earth is entitled to a seer stone and should have one, but they are kept from them in consequence of their wickedness, and most of them who do find one, make evil use of it. This was certainly true in the case of Hiram Page. According to a declaration made by Brigham Young in 1859, Joseph saw where to find his seer stone while looking through another's. He saw that his stone would be on the banks of Lake Erie in Pennsylvania, and when he got to the place where he should go, he recognized it from his vision and knew immediately where to find the stone that he would carry with him throughout his life. This was the first of two seer stones known to have been in his possession. This one was his white stone, which he treasured above anything else and carried with him all of his days. Joseph also had a caramel-colored seer stone. <clears throat> It was described as being dark in appearance, with brown stripes running around its shape. It was flat and smooth. In addition to these, there were two other stones in his possession for a time. These two stones were as clear as glass, and they had a wire frame that attached to a breastplate. Joseph used these stones in the translation of the now-lost Book of Lehi. While these can be considered seer stones as well because they built up strength as a seer, they were crystals which worked with each other as one unit, and they are known as the Urim and Thummim. Joseph did refer to these as seer stones at one point, but later started referring to them as the Urim and Thummim. We know that the Urim and Thummim were given to Joseph by the angel Moroni, but what is its history? We know that the brother of Jared had two stones, but it has not yet been determined if those two stones were the same two that were given to Joseph. Mosiah II also had two sons, and until now, most were unsure if those stones Joseph received were the stones of the brother of Jared, or if they were the stones of Mosiah II, because the providence could not be accurately and directly traced. This author begs to differ, because for those with eyes to see and the ears to hear, it is plainly written. From Ether 3 we read, and it came to pass that the Lord said unto the brother of Jared, Behold, thou shalt not suffer the things which have been seen in her to go forth into the world, until the time cometh that I shall glorify my name in the flesh. Wherefore, ye shall treasure up the things which ye have seen and heard, and show it to no man. And behold, when ye shall come up unto me, ye shall write them, and shall shield them up, and no one can interpret them, for ye shall write them in a language that cannot be read. And behold, these two stones will I give unto thee, and ye shall seal them up 
also with the things ye shall write. For behold the language which ye shall write, I have confounded. Wherefore, I will cause in mine own due time that these stones shall magnify to the eyes of men these things which ye shall write. Just prior to these verses in Ether 3, 1, we learn that the brother of Jared has molten 16 small stones out of the rock, which were white and clear, and were transparent as glass. Because of his great faith and trust in the Lord, the brother of Jared was able to see the finger of the Lord touch those stones to give light to their traveling vessels, and was then granted the blessing of seeing Christ in person. Christ then gifted him two stones, which were to be used as interpreters. From this, we can glean that there were a total of 18 stones in the possession of the brother of Jared. This accounts for nine sets of two stones. A tenth set we know was in the possession of Moses. Remembering the number patterns historically found in the gospel, it is highly likely that there are 12 sets of two stones. So where are the other two sets accounted for in our unaccounted for in our gospels? This author supposes that they may reside with the lost tribes, though we do not know yet for sure. This is one of those questions that may be left unanswered until the second coming. To learn what happened to the two stones gifted to the brother of Jared by the Savior, let's continue reading from the third chapter of Ether. Verse 27, And the Lord said unto him, Write these things and seal them up, and I will show them in mine own due time unto the children of men. And it came to pass that the Lord commanded him that he should seal up the two stones which he had received and show them not, until the Lord should show them unto the children of men. To further trace their provenance, we now need to go into Ether 4, verse 1. And the Lord commanded the brother of Jared to go down out of the mount from the presence of the Lord and write these things which he had seen. And they were forbidden to come unto the children of men until they should, he should be lifted up upon the cross. For this cause did King Mosiah keep them, that they should not come unto the world until after Christ should show himself unto his people. And after Christ truly had showed himself unto his people, he commanded that he they should be made manifest. And now after that, they have... All dwindled in unbelief, and there is none save it be the Lamanites, and they have rejected the gospel of Christ. Therefore I am commanded that I should hide them up again in the earth. Behold, I have written upon these plates the very things which the brother of Jared saw, and there were never were greater things made manifest than those which were made manifest under the brother of Jared. Wherefore the Lord hath commanded me to write them, and I have written them. And he commanded me that I should seal them up, and he also commanded that I should seal up the interpretation thereof. Wherefore, I have sealed up the interpreters according to the commandment of the Lord. For the Lord said unto me, They shall not go forth unto the Gentiles until the day that they shall repent of their iniquity and become clean before the Lord. And in that day they shall exercise faith in me, saith the Lord, even as the brother of Jared did, that they may become sanctified in me. Then will I manifest unto them the things which the brother of Jared saw, even unto the unfolding unto them all my revelations, saith Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of the heavens and of the earth, and all things that in them are. As we can see, the stones were kept in the secure hands of King Mosiah the second, and it seems that they would then have been passed down through the generations until they came to Moroni, who hid them up in the earth yet again where they stayed until the time when he, in his resurrected form, would give them unto Joseph Smith. How amazing it would have been for Joseph Smith to read them as he interpreted the Book of Mormon, knowing that they were speaking directly of him. His faith blessed him to be able to see Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ, just as the brother of Jared did. Joseph had been using seer stones for upwards of five years prior to receiving the Urim and Thummim from Moroni on September 2nd, 1827. He knew the Lord had given him the ability to see things, and his seer stones helped him to hone that skill. His use of them was made well known, and people came from as far as a 100 miles away to ask him to help them search for treasure. 
While it is documented that Joseph did appease some of these requests, he knew his calling was higher than that, and his main focus was on completing the work of the Lord. From this, we can glean that learning to receive revelation is one of the main purposes of seer stones. They are stones with a sacred calling, and they are uniquely aware of when they are being used for their intended purposes. When someone other than a general authority is called to be a seer, it is typically to prepare them for work they will do leading up and during leading up to and during the millennium. In order to train them for that work, the Lord finds a way to provide them with a seer stone. To accentuate this point, we should review the story of a man with whom this author is acquainted, who has been in possession of two seer stones since approximately 1991. In order to protect the privacy of those involved, all of the names in the story have been changed. The Gulf War started right about 1990 while I, Michael, was teaching at Weber State University. David Weston, one of my students, was mobilized as a soldier in the Utah Army National Guard and sent to Kuwait in the Middle East. As David's faculty advisor, I had to check him out of school after he left. About one year later, David returned from the war after having served in a MASH, Mobile Army Surgical Hospital Unit. He showed up at my office unannounced. I invited him in and he sat down even without even a word of greeting. I told him how glad I was to see him back safely and asked if he needed my help to get registered back into school. He made no comment. I asked how he and his family were doing. I asked about the war and how it was going. I told him of my own military experience in the UTARNG during the same time period. Still, not a sound was uttered from David. I began to feel uneasy and I began to wonder what effects the war had left on him. I prayed for guidance to know what I needed to say that would help David. A thought came to me, and I told David that I felt impressed to share with him a dream I'd had when I was 16 years old. This dream came to me in Technicolor and Dolby Surround Sound. The dream was more real to me than my daily reality. The details have never left me, and I reflect on this dream often, even now. In the dream, I was standing in the plaza in the city of Jerusalem. It was circular, and several roads went out from the central plaza like the spokes of the hub of a wheel. Many hundreds of thousands of people were gathered in the city, filling in the streets, filing in the streets, uh, well, no filling, all the streets leading to the large plaza, but were kept from entering the plaza by an outer circumference of guards in military uniforms. It seemed that I was one of the guards keeping the people back from entering the plaza. There were multiple television cameras on long booms high above the crowds. They were all focused on two men who were laying dead in the center of the plaza. It seemed the eyes of all the people in the world were watching the final moments before these two men were to be resurrected and would raise from the dead. The anticipation was great and the people fell silent. At that point, I awoke from my dream with a longing to have seen what was slated to happen next. David sat before me in my office, sobbing uncontrollably. I sat quietly until he regained his composure. I handed him a box of Kleenex tissues. It was then that he spoke to me. He simply said, Will you please do what I ask of you for the next two weeks? I told him that I would, and if it was right in the sight of God. Will you please read from the Book of Mormon out loud for one hour every day, he asked. He then instructed, Play church hymns every morning in your home as you awaken your family and call them to family prayers. Have family prayers every morning before they go to bed. Have your family home meeting weekly. Attend to your church callings faithfully. I will return in two weeks to hear your report. I assured David that I would do as he requested. I was already doing everything except a full hour of reading aloud from the Book of Mormon and having the music playing throughout the home in the mornings. David turned and left my office without another word. I thought how strange the entire interaction had been, and I was committed to follow through as promised, and that I did. 
Over the next two weeks, I took particular notice of the peace I felt in my life, the harmony of my family, and the deeper connections I shared with my wife, Charlotte. I liked the changes we were all experiencing. Two weeks later to the day, David came again to my office unannounced, catching me between classes. He held his hand out to me, fist down, as to hand me something. I held out my... Opened my right hand, palm up, and David placed a small, opaque, white stone into my hand. He told me to not let it ever touch metal, including my gold wedding band. He asked me to hold it in my left hand as I continued to read daily aloud from the Book of Mormon. It was also to hold it as I had my personal prayers and to put it in my pillowcase and sleep with it every night. I was to carry it in a small pouch and keep it with me at all times. I asked David, where did this stone come from? He told me, One extremely dark night, while on perimeter defense position at a remote post in the war zone of Kuwait, the guards were told to shoot and kill on-site anyone outside the camp that approached. No signs or challenging passwords were to be exchanged. No warning shots were to be fired. Only the guards on the perimeter were allowed outside of the compound and were not to leave their position or the sector of fire. During the night, he said it was so dark I could hardly see my own hand in front of my face. Something happened. I heard someone approaching, but I could not see who it was. I felt a peace come over me, and I didn't raise my weapon. I just stood there in the dark until the person came to me and stood before me face to face. I noticed that the man was dressed in white. Without a word, the man held out his closed hand to give me something. I reached out and was handed 13 small white stones. I asked what I was to do with him. I'm not sure whether the man answered me verbally or if he put the words into my mind. I was told to always keep them with me, and that once I got home, I would be taught more about them. I would be directed by the Spirit to give one stone to each individual that was to receive one, and then I would instruct each person on what to do with it. I was one of the first three people to receive one of these stones. David said that I would notice a change in the stone as I worked with it. The stone would be, uh, would be an indicator of the changes that would take place within me. During the next six months, following the instructions David had given me that day, I noticed the opaqueness start to leave the stone. First, it turned an amber color, and then it became transparent. Over several months, the stone became as clear as glass, and I was able to read newsprint through the stone. I also experienced a clearing within my soul. Others were given their stones to work with. Nine of us were able to meet together on occasion when we were taught how to set and clear a protective realm, how to converse with heavenly angels through the veil, and how to properly command the elements of the earth in accordance to God's will. We were told of future missions and to prepare for what the Lord would have us perform to assist in people, you know, in preparing his people for the second coming. We were to always remain active in the church, honor our priesthood, remain temple worthy, and attend the temple often, to sustain the prophet and president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We were to draw closer to our family and teach them what we were learning. David explained that each of the 13 stones were blessed to be set to the same frequency and could be used as a means of communication with each other. Jesus Christ would personally have one of these stones, as would a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. They would know each one of us and could track our personal progress. At one point, David asked me, uh, no, asked for my clear stone. He exchanged it for another person's stone that was still an opaque white and asked me to work with it. I was somewhat disappointed, but I accepted the challenge. Since I received the exchange stone, I have carried it with me daily for more than 25 years. I have never used it as a seer stone to receive revelation, though some of the people I have showed it to have called it a seer stone. I have never used it as a communication device either. Over the years, I have kept in contact with three others who were also given one of these stones, two of whom still carry theirs with them always. 
I have found that everything I was asked to do with the stone, I can also do without the use of the stone. It has served as a visual crutch in a good way to show me my own progress over the years. I will always be grateful for it. The identity of the person who gave the stones to David is not known. In a phone call, Michael also shared that another man, whom we will call Carl McTavish, while traveling to Scotland on business, found 12 other stones. While walking along the beach one day, he noticed that the beach was very clean. Anomalous to the condition of the beach, there was a tide pool in the sand. Inside the tide pool were 12 tiny opaque white stones. As Carl was one of the recipients of the original stones, he recognized immediately that they were almost identical to the stones he possessed, and the importance of finding these was not lost to him. He felt impressed to pick them all up, and when he showed these stones to David, David felt inspired to tell Carl that the stones he had found should be given to the wives of the men who had the original stones. As a result, one of these stones was given to Michael's wife. Her stone was also blessed to be set to the same frequency as Michael's, but hers was given its own channel, so that with their stones, husband and wife could communicate with each other in a fashion similar to two-way radios, though he admits that they have not used their stones for this purpose yet. Michael's wife carried her stone with her for a time. She came to find that she treasured it in a way in such a way that she wanted to be able to see it always, so she displayed it proudly in her dresser. When her husband saw this, he requested that she give him permission to carry it with him so he could keep their two stones together. She agreed, and he has carried them next to each other in the same pouch ever since. In further conversations with Michael, we learn what his stones look like and how they are to be used. These words are instructive to those who may find that they are given this information or any other special calling in preparation for the second coming of Jesus Christ. The stone given to Michael is very small and takes up very little space in his hand. It is of a smooth texture and is more round than flat, having no sharp corners or edges. It was an opaque white color when it was given to him, but over the course of six months it began to change, turning an amber color and then eventually becoming as clear as glass. While the thought of a stone changing its color seems restrictive to the psyche, the purpose of such transformation is reflective on the progress one is making spiritually. The changes that take place with seer stones are often symbolic of the changes the earth itself will go through before, during, and after the millennium. The earth is currently in its telestial state. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, it will evolve into the terrestrial state. After the end of the millennium, the earth will evolve yet again, transitioning into a state of cl as clear as glass and becoming a Urim and Thummim in its own right. In its own right. Michael was instructed that his seer stone should never touch any metal of any kind, even the metal of his wedding band, because all things in and of the earth are composed of the elements found therein, and this also applies to our bodies. When the Spirit of God speaks to us, it is conveyed through the elements. An element is defined by Merriam-Webster as any of the four substances, air, water, fire, and earth, formerly believed to compose the physical universe, the state or sphere, natural, or suited to a person or thing. In essence, it is the foundational building block. Each of these definitions can apply when learning of seer stones, and the latter definition reaffirms the basis for why a stone is used as the revelatory proxy between this world and the next. Being that humans were created out of the dust of the earth, as stones are, it makes sense that joining the two forces would grant a higher degree of learning, truth, and when seeking it with pure intentions. A metal is defined in the English language learner's dictionary as a substance such as gold, copper, or tin that usually has a shiny appearance, is a good conductor of electricity and heat, can be melted, and is usually capable of being shaped. 
Metals are made out of a combination of compounds found in the earth, and therefore they are not as pure as a stone. Our spirits are also composed of elements, but they have been more refined and thus they are more pure. The earthen elements of our bodies plus the seer stones act together as a tool to help us in our journey to receive revelation and by extension to become gods and goddesses. Because of this, this author supposes that by allowing a seer stone to touch metal would block its purity, which would then hinder its ability to work with the natural elements of the spirit and body to reach the level of revelation the Lord would give. Great caution should then be exercised to assure the stone does not mix with any unnatural elements, which could detract it from its divine purpose. For those who have picked up on the contradiction of why, when Michael was told that his seer stone should not touch metal, the Urim and Thummim are wrapped in a silver bow. This is because the Urim and Thummim is not an earthen element, but a spiritual one. And the reason it is wrapped in a bow is that uh, in a bow that can be attached to a breastplate is to provide the user a hands-free experience in order for them to be able to complete their work as it has been assigned by the Lord. Thus, we can decipher that while they are synonymic with each other, there is an inherent difference between seer stones and the Urim and Thummim. When working with a seer stone, several steps should be taken. While the details in which words you use are not the critical point, there are certain protocols which should be followed in order to obtain the highest possible learning. The first protocol is to always hold the stone in your left hand. Every covenant we make is done through the right hand, which is the giving hand. Our left hand is the receiving hand, and we hold the stone in the left hand in order to receive the revelation that is to come. While holding the stone in your left hand, you will need to begin your study with prayer. Next, you will need to create a realm in which to communicate with God. Again, there is no specific words that you need to use. Just make it clear with your intention of receiving revelation, you need a physical protective realm. In essence, you are creating a portable celestial room whereby the communication with the Father can be at its height. Part of creating this room is to activate the seer stone by speaking your new name. Yes, this new name is the same one that you received in the temple. Evidence of this is found in Doctrine and Covenants 130, verses 10 and 11. It states, And a white stone is given to each of those who come into the celestial kingdom, wherein is a new name written, which no man knoweth, save he that receiveth it. The new name is the key word. The seer stone is able to record information, and it will remember your new name. As you work with it further, your spiritual growth will become apparent as the stone helps you move more quickly into your revelation each time you use it. Once your realm has been created, do not leave it until it has been properly closed, thereby maintaining its sanctity. You will need to ask for guardian angels to attend you. Have a white handkerchief in front of you, lay it out, and place the stone on it. Then, as you look into the stone, the revelation that the Lord has for you will come. Michael has a brother who also has his own seer stone. While he is not keen on sharing his story, he did provide some insights to this author, which should be noted. When he was first asked to carry and use a seer stone years ago, the first thing he did was research the authenticity of what he was being told. He found much written on the gem therapy, as it has been around the world since, uh, since the world was first organized. Not to make anything more or less than what is intended, he discovered a new, more intimate relationship with stones. The first thing he mentions is that all earth objects, including stone matter, seem to have an assigned purpose, and they somehow know when they are being used if it is for their intended purpose or not. Stones seem to cooperate with their higher purposes. They 
Do not do this out of choice, but more out of a kind of obedient joy. Stones transmit energies and information as well as record them. They are programmable, and they can relay the information they have learned. We are intended to use stones for our good, for reasons that will advance us spiritually. If experiences are the lessons of life, stones can help us get through them easier. This is why some people find solace in having a pet rock. Even if it is not a seer stone they possess, they have found a rock that fulfills its purpose by providing a calm spirit to their environment. All stones and other earth substances should always be treated and used with the utmost respect. As Elder Neil A. Maxwell said, For those with eyes to see and ears to hear, it is clear that the Lord is revealing the secrets of the universe. Your relationship with your seer stone should be given the calling to receive one. Should you be given the calling to receive one is a very special relationship indeed. You would always know it. In fact, you could take a group of seer stones that look almost identical to each other, place them all into a bowl, mix them up thoroughly, then release the group of them onto the table, and you would know immediately which seer stone belongs to you. As soon as you begin to work with it, it becomes a part of you. This is evident because after... Michael had worked with his seer stone and had become completely clear he was then asked to concede his stone for another. In over 25 years of working with this other stone, the color has not changed since he received it. The stone is not his, but he still treasures it for it is a tangible item, which can connect him directly with heaven. Part of your relationship with your stone is to protect it and carry it with you always. It is a sacred tool and an equitable gift to have. It should be treated with respect and integrity when you sleep it should be tucked inside of your pillowcase a seer stone is a gift that should be treasured always george q cannon said we cannot be the people that god designs we should be unless we seek after and obtain these spiritual gifts it should be constant prayer of all the latter-day saints for the lord to give us those gifts that are suited to our condition and that will make us perfect, because the bestowal of these gifts is for the express purpose of making those who are entitled to them perfect before the Lord. We should earnestly seek to put ourselves through the refiner's fire, thereby enhancing our condition, which will make us better suited to receive the gifts we desire. Doctrine and Covenants 132 teaches, verse 5, The more sure word of prophecy means a man's knowing that he is sealed up unto eternal life by revelation and the spirit of prophecy through the power of the holy priesthood. It is impossible for a man to be saved in ignorance. There is no such thing as an immaterial matter. All spirit is matter, but it is more fine or pure and can only be discerned by purer eyes. We cannot see it, but when our bodies are purified, we shall see that it is all matter. There is no more powerful gift than to keep an eye single to the glory of God. If we will but keep an eternal perspective and live accordingly, we will be doing all that we need to in order to assure ourselves that we are making our calling and election sure. In April of 1979, in a talk called The Refiner's Fire, James E. Faust said, In the pain, the agony, and the heroic endeavors of life, we pass through the refiner's fire, and the insignificant and unimportant in our lives can melt away like dross and make our faith bright, intact, and strong. In this way, the divine image can be mirrored for the soul from the soul. It is part of the purging toll exacted of some to become acquainted with God. In the agonies of life, we seem to listen better to the faint, godly whisperings of the divine shepherd. Into every life, there come the painful, despairing days of adversity and buffeting. There seem to be a full measure of anguish, sorrow, and often heartbreak for everyone, including those who earnestly seek to do right and be faithful. The thorns that prick 
that stick in the flesh that hurt often change lives, which seemed robbed of significance and hope. This change comes about through a refining process which often seems cruel and hard. In this way, the soul can become like soft clay in the hands of the master in building lives of faith, usefulness, beauty, and strength. For some, the refiner's fire causes a loss of belief and faith in God, but those with eternal perspective understand that such refining is part of the perfection process. However, because we are here to experience opposition, that doesn't mean that experiencing sadness and despair is the only way to grow. Because men are that they might have joy, we can gain just as much growth when it is done in the Lord's way. The Lord desire us to also grow through joy, and this is why revelation is a gift that is given to us. As we focus our lives to be dedicated to the Lord and by manifesting charity in everything we do, we are proving to him that we are earnestly seeking the promises he has given, for he cannot deny us those blessings if we have done all that we can do to receive them. There is a power in spiritual assurance as we intentionally live to overcome our trials. From our perspective and the attitude that perspective provides will guide us in reaching our eternal potential, full eternal potential. President Marion G. Romney, speaking for the Lord, has said of this marvelous power, the effect upon each person's life is likewise similar. No person whose soul is illuminated by the burning spirit of God can in this world of sin and dense darkness remain passive. He is driven by an irresistible urge to fit himself to be an active agent of God in furthering righteousness and in freeing the lives and minds of men from the bondage of sin. The divine shepherd has a message of hope, strength, and deliverance for all, James E. Faust said. If there was no night, we could not appreciate the day, nor could we see the stars in the vastness of the heavens. We must partake the bitter with the sweet. There is a divine, yeah, divining purpose to the adversities we encounter every day. They prepare, they purge, they purify, and thus they bless. He continued, Out of the refiner's fire can come a glorious deliverance. It can be a noble and lasting rebirth. The price to become acquainted with God will have been paid. There can come a sacred peace. There will be a reawakening of dormant inner resources, a comfortable cloak of righteousness, will be drawn around us to protect us and keep us warm spiritually. Self-pity will vanish as our blessings are counted. Perspective is everything. Understanding why we go through our trials lessens the sting of them, and we are then more apt to adapt. Parley P. Pratt eloquently expressed his sentiment on the awakening of having an eternal perspective. He said, If I had been set to turn the world over, to dig down a mountain, and to go to the ends of the earth, or traverse the deserts of Arabia, it would have been easier than to have undertaken the rest while the priesthood was upon me. I have received the holy anointing, and I can uh, never rest till the last enemy is conquered, death destroyed, and truth reign triumphant. When you have found the joy that comes from knowing the blessings that await you, you can help. You can't help but praise the Lord and spread that joy to everyone around you, letting yourself become a window to his love will allow his image to shine through your countenance, and you can then feel part of the eternal joy take hold of your heart long before the exaltation is granted unto you. Be assured that by small and simple things are great things brought to pass, and one of those great things will be the final step in exaltation, which will be the culmination of making your calling and election sure as you continue to keep your covenants and always put the Lord first. If receiving a seer stone is not in the cards for you, there are still methods for knowing what your calling and election are. And 
they are more obvious than you might think. The fact is seer stones are a tool used to help those they are given to learn how to receive and understand revelation as it comes to them. There is a point when the stone is no longer needed and the spirit of the individual becomes quickened to the voice of the Lord within them. If you are someone who already knows how to recognize the revelation when it comes, then a seer stone is not necessarily a tool that you need. We all learn line upon line, precept upon precept. There is a ladder of spiritual progression that we must all climb. And for those who receive one, seer stones are terrestrial steps towards gaining celestial glory while still in the celestial world. Seer stones were a precept for Joseph Smith as they are for everyone who is found worthy of having one in this world. They are a tool, a divining rod of information used to teach the recipient how to receive and understand when they are given revelation. Eventually, the time will come when the stone is no longer needed because the ability to recognize the revelations as they come has been fulfilled. When this happens... The stone is forever part of you, and it becomes a piece of eternal sentimental treasure, because it has taught you the things you could never learn in a way that isn't divine. Elder Neil A. Maxwell said, Spiritual submissiveness is not accomplished in an instant, but by the incremental improvements and by the successive use of stepping stones. He continued, In the subtle interplay of agency and identity, there is so much hesitation. The surrender of the mind is actually a victory, because it then introduces us to God's stretching and higher ways indeed while you could outgrow your personal stone it still contains keys to your personal glory while yet in the flesh specifically it will facilitate the transition of turning you into a new format of celestiality therefore we must cease from holding ourselves back in this growing process as it only withholds our potential for the greatest blessings which the lord cannot wait to bestow upon us we must submit to the often painful stretching of spiritual growth. Only through this can we become who we ought and increase our spiritual maturity into making our calling and election sure. Elder Quintnell Cook said, Fulfilling divinely appointed responsibilities based on righteousness, unity, and equality before the Lord brings personal happiness and peace in the world and prepares us for the eternal life in the world to come. It prepares us to meet God. If you are in a place in your mortal life wherein your spirit can sense that there is something greater awaiting you, it is not a lie. This is the spiritual awakening that you must adhere to if you are desirous to receive the ultimate in celestial exaltation. Whether or not you have a seer stone in your possession is irrelevant. There are other ways to assure you are doing all that you can to make your calling and election sure. We all know the basics of praying daily, reading our scriptures, actively attending church, and faithfully fulfilling our callings. Regular temple attendance is of the imperative and should be a priority, especially if you live close enough to a temple to meet the obligation. Other steps include finding ways to keep the spirit in your home at all times, such as playing hymns or other music that invites the spirit in regularly. As you grow spiritually, you will find yourself turning away from dark films, television shows, and music, and you will notice you are more open to revelation. If you are no longer tempted to read of the bad news that inundates the internet you are progressing spiritually if you choose to remove the television from your home you have decided that satan is no longer welcome for that is a window which he can use to access your life if the background image on your smartphone is an uplifting picture of christ and you're on the path to eternal joy if you discover that social media is of little importance or if you are still using it but you're finding yourself clinging only to those posts which are spiritual in nature and increase your divinity, you are becoming a spiritual beacon. In the words of George Q. Cannon, we cannot be the people that God designs we should be unless we seek after and obtain these spiritual gifts. It should be that constant prayer of all the Latter-day Saints for the Lord to give us those gifts that are suited to our condition. 
and that will make us perfect because the bestowal of these gifts is for the express purpose of making those who are entitled to them perfect before the Lord. Uh, As you become aware that there are several things you are naturally doing to increase your relationship with Christ, and you have that inkling inside of you that says that you are headed to bigger, better, and higher purposes, inquire of the Lord that he will make known unto you what your calling and election is. Thereby, you will gain the insight of what you should be doing to bring those blessings to fruition. With everything else that has already been said, bear in mind that fear is not an option in this endeavor. On the contrary, you should be excited. There are many people in our world today who are finding their callings and doing everything that the Lord asks of them. Because of their faithful efforts, some of those who are among the highly favored of the Lord are being called upon to complete an even higher work as translated beings. Very soon, those numbers of the translated beings will be multiplied exponentially, and they will be there to fight the battles that mortals couldn't win on their own. When we find ourselves in such a fight, we need to actively exercise the faith that the Lord will handle it, because he will. He will send mighty armies to finally defeat and overcome the evil that has been allowed to roam the earth for millennia. These are a select group of people who are being recruited and called forth to participate in the second coming as warriors in the army of the Lord of hosts. They are being transformed through a glorious mentorship, while these who pass away before that great battle also have their own role to play. We would be wise to recognize that there are four ordained spirits who were meant to be translated. Translated beings are still alive in their mortal state. In this mortal state, they still have a physical body, but it has been perfected. As a result, they are no longer subject to the pain or death, for they have a mightier caller to answer. The primary purpose of translated beings is to assist the righteous people through the tribulations. They will fight alongside angels and even Jesus Christ himself in the final showdown, to which we already know the glorious and exalted ending. For these distinguished beings, they can accomplish the indomitable, omnipotent, and far greater valiant work from both sides of the veil. All that remains on this subject is this. Do you feel this pull inside of you? And should the Lord extend it to you, are you willing to fulfill your exalted calling?